When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Summer is winding down fast, but you already know that. Just like you know that it's a big no-no to spend even a second of Labor Day weekend laboring in line at the liquor store. So this summer, get Drizzly, the number one app for alcohol delivery. With Drizzly, you can shop local stores and compare prices on the biggest selection of beer, wine, and spirits, right from the comfort of your couch, patio, or unicorn pool float. And then get them delivered to your door in under 60 minutes. That's less time than it'll take your friend Steve to get his charcoal properly lit. <laughs> Frickin' Steve. So if you're looking to skip the labor part of Labor Day weekend, download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y dot com today. Welcome in Gamecock Central Live. I am Wes Mitchell. He is Chris Clark. Tuesday edition of the show, and glad to be back live on YouTube, Facebook, of course, Twitter, and then after the show, we'll be on all the major podcast platforms as well. Glad that you're able to join us here, and uh, wherever you're joining us, we certainly appreciate the support. We are GC Live, brought to you by AffordableMedicalUSA.com. They are found at 803-926-1493, and they are, of course, home of the game day chair which we'll tell you about a little bit later on. This is presser day, as always. Tuesday sort of turned the page a bit from the game before to the game coming up. And, uh, of course, South Carolina talking. Uh, you know, today players talking, then Muschamp talking. And, Chris, are you in a different chair today? No, am I a little bit higher? I, I've had a growth spurt. Overnight. Oh, I need I need to hit one of those myself. My parents always told me I was going to hit one, and I never did. How about this? You want me to come down to your level? Oh, yeah, come on. There you go. You look like um, Jazz Turnitin or something. You're just tall. That's the, only way I, that's the only way I can look tall, man, is to push my camera up the wrong way. Yeah, I got you. Uh, press conference today, Muschamp talking about LSU. He gave his, of course, his usual – uh, rundown of the team. What was your big takeaway? I, I guess, uh, and it must I'll say this, man, real quick. Muschamp wasn't buying the whole the question about that that everybody got asked about. Um, how you know? Do you see LSU as a one and two team or the yeah. defending national champion? It's funny in these press conference situations, a narrative sort of starts, and that question got asked to a bunch of players as well. But Muschamp was not uh, even entertaining that at all. Not at all. And, uh, you know, a lot of reasons for that. So, number one, Muschamp really talked up LSU offensively, right? Now, this is not the 2019, thankfully for South Carolina, (laughs) this is not the 2019 version of LSU football in terms of the offensive production, right? Scott Linehan instead of Joe Brady. No Joe Burrow. Um, 52 approximately other offensive players that were drafted on that team. Uh, no, seriously, they had like 14 draft picks, I think, from both sides of the ball. A bunch of guys moved on. They lost a ton of players off their two deep, a ton of starters. And so what Muschamp did say is, look, he talked up Miles Brennan, regardless of you know what they believe about whether or not, whether or not he's going to play. He talked up the offensive system, Eric Gilbert, their tight end, Terrence Marshall, wide receiver. It's just some of the problems they can create for you. And Wes, he still talked up, you know, the defense in terms of what Bo Pelini can do. You know, he's very complimentary of Bo Pelini. Obviously, defensively, LSU's had some big struggles this year. A lot of talk out of Baton Rouge about fixing that, simplifying things, whatever it may be. Um, but, yeah, he, he wasn't buying anything about this being some subpar team. You know, this is a team that obviously got exposed in game one and, and got upset. You know, they're one and two. The, the one win that they had was over Vandy by, by the way, the exact same score that South Carolina beat Vanderbilt by, I believe. So, you know, that, that, that whole narrative about this being a struggling team 
or something is not something that Muschamp or the players, like you said, are buying. In fact, it was a lot of compliments today about LSU, a lot of talk about the different issues, you know, that they can continue uh, to create, which they can. I mean, this is a team that what if they figure it out a little bit defensively, right? What if South Carolina goes down there and turns the ball over? Uh, offensively, they could still put up yardage. You know, obviously quarterback may be a question, but in terms of system, scheme, in terms of some of the players they got, LSU still recruited well. This is still a team that's got a lot of talent. That can always cause you issues, especially on the road. Yeah, and I think, Chris, as you start to dive into this LSU team, you sort of realize, well, for for me, I think a bye week for them, not not a real bye week, but an inadvertent bye week that they ended up having last week, uh, probably actually came at a a perfect time. And – they're able to clean up some things, I'm sure. You know, I, I listened – I finally did get to listen to Ed Orgeron a bit, and he – you know, he he talked about how last week they spent a lot of time just focused on themselves, which is generally what you do with a, a bye week. You know, you, you focus on mistakes, cleaning up those mistakes, and, and then moving forward from them. Now, when you have as many issues as LSU, which is – it's a weird sentence to even say – because I'm used to LSU being so good, so talented on the defensive side of the ball. When you have as many issues as they have had, um, you probably can't clean it all up in in one week. But you, again, are facing a South Carolina offense that has been solid for what they are, but we all know, we've talked about it all all year, there are question marks. You know, they, they don't have a bunch of elite receivers, other than, you know, Shai Smith, who has been really good. So if you're LSU, you're looking at the South Carolina offense, probably saying this is the week to to start feeling a little bit better. And I think if you're South Carolina, you're probably looking at what LSU's put on tape so far and saying, hey, we haven't been able to make these explosive plays. Here's a week where there's an opportunity to do it. Chris, I go back to the Florida game, a defense that had struggled and – South Carolina had some opportunities to create some explosive plays, and it was severely hampered by drop passes. And but but the plays were there, the play calls were there, and in most of the situations, the football was there. You know, Colin Hill was getting the football where it needed to be. So I look at this as another opportunity for the South Carolina wide receivers. Did they take advantage of it? or not, uh, you know, only time will tell. But I, I look at it as a chance for maybe some some big plays. Yeah, there, there, there are some, some opportunities there. You know, one of the things that's been discussed in Baton Rouge that I alluded to earlier was the fact that there's some talk about, you know, simplifying things, communicating better. Some of the reports coming out of Baton Rouge is they that's what they needed to do. Now, we have heard in the past – Struggling defenses say we're going to simplify things and then they continue to struggle. <laughs> but sometimes sometimes those things help. I mean, nobody's looking at LSU and feeling sorry for them and say, man, they're just so they're just, you know, so devoid of talent. They just don't have the horses. Most part, that's not the case. Right. They got some really, really good players on that team. Derek Stingley, one of the better corners in the country. They got plenty of guys for whatever reason hasn't clicked for them. And so for South Carolina, I think it is going to be key to take advantage of the opportunities that you do get. Like you said, you can't go down to Baton Rouge and turn the ball over and expect to win. You can't go down there and drop passes like you did at Florida and not expect to win. What we have seen, you know, lean on what you've seen so far from this team. What we've seen is Mike Bobo's going to coach well throughout the game in terms of whether it's initial game planning or making adjustments. South Carolina has been good in the second half. You know, can they carry through more of a complete performance? We'll see. But I would expect them to adjust to some things, and I think they can put some points up on the board. The question is, can they hit some explosive plays? Can they take advantage of all the opportunities, maybe do it a little bit earlier, and maybe do a little bit more in terms of hitting some of those really close 50-50 plays? Um, If they can do that, it's going to give them a much better chance to exploit an LSU defense that has looked pretty leaky at times, that has looked themselves you know, susceptible to some explosive plays. Yeah, and I, I think, dude, I, I've I've seen this, I've seen this play out before. Um, LSU still very, very, very talented, and 
there for man for me there there's a reason that the line still opened up with LSU as a touchdown favorite which perception wise is a pretty big gap i think from like a 3 point favorite uh, so i you know I, i'm as far as i as the week goes on i always sort of formulate how do i think this game's going to play out who do i think has the best chance to win what does south carolina have to do to win I'm not sitting here saying, well, even though it's a seven-point you know, line, South Carolina should win this game because even with the issues LSU has had, they're still LSU. They still recruit as well as about anybody, especially on the defensive side. So I'm not quite buying into the whole LSU is one and two uh, narrative at all. This is going to be really tough to go on the road now, will Carolina go down there and, and fight and be in the game? Absolutely. I, I think – I mean, I've said it many times. I think all these games, for the most part, are going to be pretty close. Um, if if LSU plays well, I don't know that they'll be able to just put South Carolina away, you know, and just blow them out. Similarly, if South Carolina goes down there and starts the game, you know, with their, their best start on offense all year long, and scores the first three drives or something. I don't. I don't see South Carolina being able to put away LSU either. I think this is going to be another tightly contested fourth quarter game where the fans that are in the chat right now are are having to drink extra um, whatever you whatever your drink of choice is because you're going into the fourth quarter just. With your with your heartbeat, uh, at, you know, at a raised rate. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's a good point, and we knew. Look, I would say we knew. We thought going into this year, you know, the wins that South Carolina would be able to pull from this schedule w- would be in tightly contested games, and regardless of whatever else anybody thinks about what Will Muschamp said preseason or what he said after each game, before each game, one thing that he said that probably anybody could agree with is what he's told the team constantly and then has relayed to the media. And that is they're going to have, what has he said, Wes, seven or eight, seven or eight games that are going to come down to a score. You're going to come down to a handful of plays. You're going to come down to the fourth quarter. And we've seen that in every game, but one, you know, even the Florida game with a couple score margin was close in the fourth quarter. Situation where South Carolina had an opportunity at least to go down there and score uh, late in the game to cut it to one score game. Tennessee game, four point game. Auburn game, eight point game. Auburn's driving at the end to go at least score a touchdown and, and have a chance for a two point conversion. South Carolina holds. And that game was back and forth. So, you know, when you look at a lot of the swing games on the schedule, which probably several of them, right? Um, you know, they're all going to be close. South Carolina is going to play well enough in games that they lose, most of them probably at least, uh, to be able to hang in there, to make it a close contest. And similarly, this isn't a team that has um, the quality right now, for lack of a better term, to where they're going to go beat somebody by three touchdowns. I mean, you just aren't, if, if we see that, that's going to be a surprise, right? There's maybe one or two games you could pick on this roster where, you know, you'd say like the Georgia game, for instance. I mean, you look at that right now and you go, I, I don't know if South Carolina can score. We'll, we'll see around that time, you know, but this is another one and it's changed a little bit preseason, right? Like my expectations for the Auburn game for one and the LSU game number two, you know, that's changed a little bit um, prior to, you know, from before the season until now when we have at least somewhat of a sample. Now, LSU is still dangerous because you look at it. Like I said earlier, they still have the horses. They've still recruited. Yeah, they lost a ton. They've recruited extremely well. So what you don't want if you're South Carolina is for them to figure it out. Like you said, Wes, start figuring things out as they go on Saturday. Um, they still got enough talent to where they can create a lot of problems for you. There's a question on here. Let's see. Where'd it go? Shane, I know you asked it. Um, yes, you do need to run to the liquor store. That was not the question I was looking for, though. Um, something to the effect of, uh, can South Carolina, can, there it is, can they confuse these freshman quarterbacks with some blitz packages or exotic looks on D? Uh, which sort of goes to what was going to be my next point 
anyway. And Chris, it sure doesn't sound like Miles Brennan is playing Saturday. Yeah. You know, I, I know he's officially questionable. You look at the I've been looking at the reporting this afternoon. Um they're saying he has a torn muscle in his abdomen, which sounds just absolutely awful. Yeah. And for a court for a quarterback, um, you know, throwing the football, rotating. Apparently, my man played three quarters. Um Brody Miller from the Athletic. I'm seeing this on Twitter. I don't know if this was said at some point or if this is just his reporting. Apparently, my man played for three quarters of the torn abdomen. So, hats off to him. Yeah. Toughness is, is there. And Miles Brennan, I'm sure, is catching, you know, catching it from LSU fans this year because they're wanting to. And he is not Joey Burrow, which is an impossible standard to try to meet. But I think he's top five in passing yards per game in the country. I mean, the the kid has been really good for them so far. And I think, man, that that's a huge I'm I'm shocked the line has not shifted more than it has already. And maybe once it's clear that Brandon is out, if he is out, that, that will change. But you go from from him, granted he hadn't played a ton before this year, but has played very well to two true freshmen that you don't even know which one is going to start. That that's that's a huge deal um, going into an SEC game. It, it makes a big difference, you know. And LSU they have some guys behind Miles Brennan who, from a talent standpoint, you know, have ability. Um, you know, you you know, go back to last year. I mean, South Carolina loses Jake Bentley to use use a local example, and early in the year. Ryan Holinsky did some things early uh, when the team was healthier, when the offense was clicking a little bit more that impressed some people, right? And so it could be that these guys from LSU, you know, have that type of talent and maybe, you know, hopefully not for South Carolina. I'm sure they hope if those guys do play the two freshmen, Ed Orgeron said both could play both of those backup options. Uh, they're certainly readying them to play splitting reps. Maybe they do some things to, to look good, but it's a it's a big difference, right? Your guy's a starter for a reason. He's the most talented guy, Miles Brennan is. He's the most experienced guy. And when you look at the offense, it, it's a step down from 19, which would be by default. I mean, you couldn't get much better than those guys were, right? Uh, but they still have some weapons in the run game, in the pass game. They've still got quarterbacks who are capable. Schematically, they can cause you some issues. And the offense, even look, even you look at the Mississippi State loss, they did have more opportunities offensively because Mississippi State was scoring so much. I mean, LSU was getting the ball back. But they put up points in that game too. Will Muschamp touted, you know, the passing numbers that they've had this year. They're still impressive. Uh, but that is a significant, you know, thing for South Carolina. As as if what we got that question on the board on the Insiders Forum today too. Will South Carolina use some – more exotic stuff, some confusing stuff. In some instances, maybe. In some instances, depending on who's in the game, your best play. You know, look at last week, Bo Nix. He's not super, super experienced. He played last year a lot. Um, but he's a true sophomore, right? And it's not like he's a fifth-year senior out there in terms of his of his ball-playing ability or his ball-playing experience. He's got a lot of ability. South Carolina – if they would have sent the house against Bo Nix, it would have been almost silly. They used some pressure packages, but a lot of them were based on pushing the pocket, flushing them out, keeping them contained, particularly in the second half. So depending on how you feel about the guy in there and his skill set, that's what you do. They're going to have to play man coverage sometimes in this game. But, yeah, they might mix in some zone. Uh, the the key, I think, even more than what's your exotic blitz or what's your even your coverage is can you affect the quarterback, whether it's rushing three, rushing four, uh, making him see ghost, having aid in coverage and him not being able to find where to put the ball and then go take off. You know, those are the types of things that you've got to do to young quarterbacks, no matter how you get there, I think. Yeah. Um, we got a question on Periscope or a comment uh Saying why would Orgeron have been honest about Brennan if he didn't have an obvious injury, giving the coaching staff more to worry about? I think Brennan plays. I mean, I, I don't think. I mean, th- this was an issue last week as well. Um, you know, Brennan was not going to play 
if LSU had had actually played Florida last week. So I don't think this is some made-up injury right now. Like This is a real deal. Now, maybe he goes out there and tries to gut it out. Nobody said for sure that he's out. But, I mean, just looking at the reporting from the guys around the program in LSU, it sure seems like everybody there is assuming he is out. And generally, I can tell you sometimes – People following the programs know a little more than they're actually able to explicitly say. So looking at that, to me, it feels like Miles Brennan is out. We'll see. We'll all find out in a few days. But it seems like he's out, which leads me to my next thing, Chris. And that is which of these two quarterbacks gets to start. Obviously, they're going to announce it later on. Both are true freshmen. and. I'm familiar with Max Johnson, mm-hmm. not familiar with TJ Finley. Finley is from Louisiana. Max Johnson from Georgia. And were, were you at that same rivals camp I was at? We we saw Max Johnson throw. Yeah. Two years ago? Three years ago. I, think it, I feel like it was probably three years ago. Yep. Yeah, we saw him throw three years ago. Big kid. Big arm. He is Brad Johnson, the former quarterback's kid. Um, I believe he's Mark Rick's nephew. And someone that I I think, I I mean, I remember him being very highly recruited at one point. South Carolina had offered him. And not really a runner. He's just a a big pro-style type of quarterback. I'm, I'm about to put his uh, high school highlights because South Carolina, this is the same thing they'll they'll do. They'll go through all of his high school highlights. Will Muschamp said that today, and, and that's what you feed off of. You, you look at any anything you can find on a guy, and they'll probably, you know, they'll probably go back to, hey, what did we see from this guy when we scouted him as, as a prospect our, ourselves? But what what do you remember about Max Johnson, Chris? I, I think you nailed it. Big kid, arm. You know, talent is obviously there. He, he is not going to give as much of that mobile uh, or that mobility. You know, you're not going to see as much of that. And obviously, you know, one thing that stands out that you see immediately there is he's lefty. You know, so that's it's a little different. Um, but, yeah, I mean, he's a kid that can – he's got size. He can step up in the pocket. He can make throws with accuracy and zip on it. And so, you know, in terms of arm talent, there's a lot there, okay? But, you know, the the inexperience, whether it's him or Finley, those are going to be the things, you know, that you – LSU, if you're LSU, you worry about. If you're South Carolina, you try to exploit. If you're LSU, you're looking at it going, this guy can make throws that we would like him to make. For South Carolina, you worry about, you know, his ability to go make throws. So, he could throw the deep ball. LSU obviously has some guys. When you look at Terrence Marshall, we can look at Gilbert, extremely talented, you know, former five-star tight end who can stretch the field on you. He's been targeted a ton. You know, Max Johnson's a guy that's going to be able to make those throws. Watching Max, uh, it, it is a pretty big arm. Now, it, it's, for me, for, for them, it's going to be all about the weapons. Like, I, I don't, I don't think you look at it and you say Max Johnson, as a true freshman, is going to go out there and just beat you himself, especially, you know, and he, you see right here, he, I mean, he could run for, for a high school guy. It's not like he has yeah. lead feet, but that, that's not going to be his game. And I, I think if you had a really, really fast quarterback who could go out there and just uh, run around and, and sort of playground you, you know, like playground football, you'd be a little more worried for for them. I think it's going to be about trying to put these guys in a, in a solid situation, get the ball to your playmakers. Now I was talking to uh, some people from our LSU rivals site, and we'll have obviously an interview with somebody from them later on this week. I did sort of my, I was, I joined them to talk about South Carolina today. So we were talking a little bit about LSU and, and their running game has not been, what you traditionally think of for for an LSU running game. 
offensive line has been sort of up and down. Not awful, but not amazing either. So when I hear that, that that sort of I circle that as both being a concern if you're on LSU side, but a key if you're on South Carolina side. Yeah, you got to get pressure on the quarterback, but stopping their running game and forcing this kid into some true passing situations to me is is how you really affect and, and get to a, a true freshman quarterback because that's that's how you affect any quarterback but you're going to be much more likely to be successful against a guy who already has all this pressure on him um not the physical pressure but the the mental pressure of having to be the guy as a true freshman yeah no doubt i mean i, I think that's going to be you know, when you're talking about a, a guy stepping into his first action conference game, you know, um, and it's different than last year. You know, it, let's say Joe Burrow went down last year as a as an LSU coaching staff. You're heartbroken about that, but then you would have a guy stepping into a situation where you've got, you know, Clyde uh, St. Hilaire Edwards. I always mix up his name. You know, whatever his name was at running back. Then you've got – you know, the tight end they had last year, Wiggins, and you've got all those receivers, Justin Jefferson, Jamar Chase, Terrence Marshall. I mean, just absolutely loaded, right? Now, this year, they've still got some guys, right? And you talk about Emory and Gilbert and, uh, you know, obviously Terrence Marshall's back. But you, you don't feel as good about the weapons surrounding. So there is a little bit more, like you said, Wes, there's more mental pressure on the quarterback. And obviously, it's a big thing when you're starting your first game, your first substantive you know, action in a very important ball game at home. And so, again, I go back to affecting the quarterback, like you said. I think we agree on that, that it's going to be the most important factor in this game. If you can do that, you know, you're really, really going to have a chance. And Muschamp was asked about that a lot today, just in terms of talking about, you know, guys that can hurt you on the team. When you turn on the tape for LSU, you have some knowns, right? Your knowns are that they have – a back or two that can hurt you. Eric Gilbert can really hurt you. Terrence Marshall can really hurt you. You know, you know these things. The quarterback is one that Muschamp said, hey, you definitely got to pay attention to it, you know, because a lot of times it is the quarterback. South Carolina plays a lot of good quarterbacks every year that can make plays with their legs. They can make throws. Some of them can do both, which is really, really difficult. Um, so you've got to find ways to affect the quarterback. And we saw last week with Bo Nix. That's a guy that can affect you really with his arm or legs, they were able to pressure him. They were able to make him uncomfortable, and they were rewarded with some mistakes. So it'll be it'll be similar this week. If you're watching the video version, you now see T.J. Finley, his high school senior film. And I think it was mentioned – I don't know if Ed O said this or, or what. I know it was mentioned in the comments that he uh, may be a little more mobile. But – not, I mean, I was looking. He he was a four eight five guy. Is what he was listed at in the forty, um, you know, in high school. So so not going to be a burner. And and it, this is my first time watching. I'll be honest, watching the film as well. We didn't have time to to go through it before, but I, I don't really off the bat see maybe that that super strong arm just on the 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 throws that we've been able to see here in a very very quick uh, you know clip and. I, I don't know, man. I, I think this is a situation where Finley, and I, I don't know about some of the other rankings, Chris, but from what I saw, he's like a high three-star guy on Rivals. Johnson, it appears, at least as far as the rankings, was the more uh, highly recruited guy or, or highly thought of guy. And we'll see, though, as far as who's come along the most since they got on campus and, and who they feel like really fits their uh, – scheme I, I guess so far yeah I mean that so the thing about Finley is um this is a big kid I mean he looks like it on film even in high school but you, you sort of okay is he six four is he six six LSU lists him at I think six uh let me look it up real quick it's six six two forty two this is a big dude uh the the book on him coming out of high school was obviously look at him the size is tremendous and some of his highlights, you're right, Wes, maybe aren't going to show a bunch of eye-popping throws with what he was asked to do in the offense. But what we heard a lot about him coming out of high school, going back and looking at some of the stuff on him, 
was, you know, really good command of the huddle, um, you know, understands how to run a team, understands how to be on the same page as, as his receivers, and then can sort of just make the right play, right? I mean, you think of a guy like Colin Hill. He's not always flashy. He's rarely flashy. You know, he could push the ball downfield. He's willing to push the ball downfield. But his his biggest, you know, maybe best attribute is just his knowledge and his ability to operate the mm-hmm. offense. Now, for Finley or Max Johnson, they're obviously not going to have that on-field experience. Um, but I think when you look at both these guys, these are guys that from a talent standpoint, they they had it, you know, in high school. And so, uh, you know, I, I think it's still going to present – either guy can present you some issues, particularly with some of the weapons – you know, the LSU is going to be able to trot out there offensively. No doubt, man. So we'll uh, we'll see how that plays out. Um, obviously, as the week goes on, we will know more and more about that situation. But there, hopefully that gives those of you watching a, a little preview of, of what those guys can do. And, um, and both will play is the other thing. As you said earlier, Chris, they're going to give them both a shot. And I'm guessing whoever – you know, whoever plays the best will will play the rest of the way. So we'll see how all of that plays out. Uh, Let's see. We had a couple questions I want to get to here on the side. Um, Also, if you want to see the LSU, the segment I did with the LSU guys, you can just go to lsu.rivals.com. I think, is it tigerdetails.com, Chris? Tigerdetails.com. I don't know if that's been posted yet or not, but – um, we'll we'll be talking to those folks later on this week and bringing them on the show here to to talk about LSU. Um, question about is Easy playing Saturday, Chris? I would say, and, and I, I'm I'm always careful with injuries anyway. But I, I I posted an injury report based on what Muschamp said, but I was also very specific in that Muschamp said Israel practiced today, but. He didn't go into any other detail. And sometimes practice means full go, you're cleared, you're out there, you're practicing like anybody else. Sometimes means you're practicing, but you're very limited. We know, obviously, he missed the game against Auburn. I took it to mean, hey, he 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 did some stuff today. But you notice Muschamp didn't say he's going to play Saturday. So I don't know about you, but I took that to mean – that's still a question moving forward. And just our common sense tells us it's a groin injury. You're playing a position where you have to change direction. Um, it's hampered him sort of – it's been up and down. He returned for the Florida game, played early against Vandy, had to come out. So until somebody says he's 100%, I think that will always be a discussion leading into a game. Do you? I mean, do you agree with that? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean – I think it goes back to what Buschep said. You look at, you know, Izzy back on Saturday at that position. You got to be able to turn, change direction, like you said, Wes. And then also it, it becomes you, you want a player to be able to protect himself, not overextend himself, not hurt himself further. And so they didn't feel comfortable with Izzy out there. Similar deal to Aaron Sterling had some different injury, had some knee swelling. He was dressed out even, Aaron Sterling was, but they didn't feel like it was uh, – you know, in that situation, a smart play to play him. So I think it is a day-to-day thing with Israel. Obviously, I think if there's some good news to take away, you know, or to have in the back of your pocket if you're a Gamecock fan is, you know, Shiloh Sanders and and Jalen Dickerson have come on at safety, continue to rep there, continue to be able to play and do some good things. And John Dixon's continued coming on at corner where Israel's been. And so if they can get Israel back to where, even if he's limited to where he can play some or play situationally, that's great. If they need to hold him for a little little while longer, you know, and let him rest up, uh, then they've got some other options there too. Which sort of leads me to my next question. If, you know, whenever Izzy gets back, are, I'm, I'm sort of leaning more and more to the, to the Izzy at safety. Keep Johnny Dixon in the game mindset, man, because I, I think – I think Johnny Dixon has been really, really good. And we all, we all saw what JC did. We all saw um, the, the flash plays there. But, man, Johnny had, had a really good game on the other side as well. And I think, especially with the injury. And you know what, man, the, the, bye, the bye week is next week. So I think if, 
if Izzy is remotely still hurting, do you do you just hold him, you know, potentially, and then get through the bye and then bring him back for the second half? We're just speculating right now, but that, that's got to be a consideration with an injury like that. So point being, whether and whether my point is that Izzy's not able to go or whether the, the question is, do you just play Izzy at safety when he gets back? Either way, man, Johnny Dixon has really started to come on, and it, it I keep remembering how high South Carolina was on, on Johnny Dixon when they saw him at camp. Uh, you know, a few years ago, Chris and I were always out there at the high school camps um, for South Carolina, and they really, really wanted this kid. And we're starting to it, – it wasn't immediate last year, but now that the comfort level is there, he's sort of finding his way. We're starting to see, I think, just how good Johnny Dixon can be. Yeah, going back to that camp, you know, that was – man, I think that was in 2017 it must have been, you know. Um so it, it was early in the process. I think John was going into his junior year. And you remember the two guys, we wrote this for our subscribers the other day, went into even more detail, but you remember the two guys that were out there on that same day, it was John Dixon and Andrew Booth, who ended up as a five-star Clemson signee and is playing very well for those guys. And they were neck and neck as far as, you know, what we thought of them that particular day. And, Coming off the field, I know a lot of people thought it probably, including some people around the South Carolina program, is it's going to be a dogfight to try to get this guy. Now, some things changed. I think it was his junior year. He played basketball. He tore his patella tendon. That slowed him down. It hampered him even all the way into his senior year, right? And so there were some schools that opted not to push at different points. South Carolina stuck with it. They signed him. He really gradually improved from a health standpoint his senior year to where he's playing really well at the end. And he's always had that ability. You know, he really has. And so um, he's come along. He was a young player last year, obviously. And uh, this year he's shown what he can do. He's had a couple critical plays. Think about the fourth down play that Ernest Jones made against Vanderbilt. John Dixon made a really smart play coming off his man there, making sure he had the flat covered. Um, and then – you think about the two-point conversion that Auburn, for some reason, went went for in that game. And he – I think he was on Seth Williams on that play, knocks the ball off the guy. Yeah, and there have been some other ones. You know, so he's he's played quite well. His emergence has been huge. We talked about that coming into this season, right? It'd be huge if John Dixon or Cam Smith or both could take a step forward. And, you know, Cam is, obviously was out last game, but he's come along in some ways. John Dixon's really made the most of his opportunity. Yeah, he really has, and and will only get better the more he actually gets to play. By the way, uh, got a comment from William Howell there. Hey, William, shoot me an email if you don't mind. I saw what you said. Shoot me an email, Wes, at GamecockCentral.com. I want to ask you something. Uh, let's see. Let's, see. let's hit some more questions, Chris. I, I don't have a ton more on the actual press conference. I don't know if you – I mean, I listened to the whole thing. Was there anything else – to you that was noteworthy or, or newsworthy uh, from the presser? Yeah, you know, I, I don't know if there was anything else that was particularly groundbreaking about it. You know, honestly, it was a lot of talk about LSU and some of the matchups, some of the current team stuff. I, I think making people – the people can and should correct us if we're wrong there, but I don't think we missed anything else super significant from the presser. Um, so if y'all got questions, go ahead. I'm, I'm sure we – Maybe miss some along the way. If y'all have them, put them in the chat. And, dude, so they were talking about Shiloh Sanders on there a little bit. And, again, if, if we want to talk about maybe guys we personally have underrated at, at times and, and when we sort of talk about a season coming up, we did our big position breakdown. I would say, I don't know if I'll speak for both of us, but I, I think I probably can on this one. The Two, two of the guys we underrated the most, I think, would be Kevin Harris on offense and just sort of what he would be capable of. Uh, me personally, I think Deshaun Fenwick also, you know, both guys at running back have have outplayed my expectations for them so far. But on defense, I would say Shiloh Sanders and how he has sort of come on as the year has gone on. 
and Muschamp reminding everybody basically that, hey, this kid is still young when it comes to football. Only played a few years of ball before he got here. He was much more focused on baseball. You know, even even the summer, I mean, the kid loves baseball. Even this summer, he was playing in a developmental league. I actually saw, I went to a Blowfish game this summer, and I they were playing up, you know, against Shiloh Sanders' team. So, uh, loves baseball. That has taken away some from his his football development growing up because he was more focused on that. And you're starting to see, man, that the guy is – he's got some speed to him. He's got some instincts. Now, a lot – and some of this is – a lot of this is just scheme. A lot of his tackles are where he's, he's making tackles down the field. Um, but when you're playing a single high safety, and if you are the single high safety in that defensive call – a lot of your tackles are going to be down the field because you're sort of the last last line of defense. And, you know, so he's doing that. But I, I think it, he hits. I mean, he looks way more eager to hit than uh, than his father ever was. So, I, you know, I'm, I'm curious to see how much this kid can sort of grow and, and keep getting better because South Carolina may have, have found a, a guy. Yeah, definitely. I mean, he was another that he was one of the reasons that South Carolina came into this year feeling better about the safety situation and the safety depth. Because there were two, there were a few significant questions there, right? I mean, one of them was, can R.J. Roderick take the next step? Now, he's, he could, as we've seen, be more consistent. That, that would be a huge help for this team. But another couple were Shiloh Sanders, can he – Take a step forward. He was raw last year. They put a lot on the safeties in this scheme, so he had a lot of learning to do. Natural. And then can Jalen Dickerson stay healthy? And for the most part, um, that that those two have have you know taken shape with, with those guys stepping up, and that's added to their depth and their ability to make some plays. And so, uh, I think that is the biggest trait that jumps out about Shiloh is that he is certainly willing to go and play physically bring a little bit of swagger, you know, to the secondary, bring that physical element. And, and that's something that at times has been missing. And so does he have a ways to go still? Sure. Um, but I think you start out with, with that starting point of he's willing to be physical and, and play back there and at times be that last line of defense and go and make some plays. And I think he's shown that. Uh, Fred asked, do we feel that more young players will have an opportunity to play this year? You know, I'm still – I'm still sort of looking at at maybe an Eric Shaw as the year goes on, maybe a Jaheim Bell, uh, you know, more more right around the corner. Muschamp said Jakari Caldwell is going to get more opportunities this week. He must be starting to make some plays in practice because he he got on the field, I think it's maybe two snaps last week, which, you know, he's starting to get out there. Rico Powers has been on the field, just has not really made plays yet. So I, I think you want to continue to try to find a way to get him the football. Um, Jordan Birch, you know, actually played a bunch. I, I thought on Saturday, Tonka Hemingway got the start. As the year goes on, maybe Mokaba, who is now playing middle linebacker. I guess that is one note from from the press conference worth mentioning. He's playing middle linebacker. He becomes Ernest Jones's backup. Jamar Brown is back, so he can sort of be the backup at the will. That's that's how the linebacker position slots right now. And, you know, we'll, we'll see if, if some other young guys are able to get out there and play. I, I still think at some point Luke Doty gets to make his mark on this season. We'll see when that time comes. Um, those are sort of the primary – you know, we, we had a question about will, will Joey Hunter get a, a chance at some spot or at some time. I think Joey's someone, Chris, they're they're pretty high on for the future, from what I've heard. But, you know, you look, Muschamp was asked about corner today. The fact that he mentioned Jamie Robinson as sort of being the emergency option at corner, as opposed to mentioning one of those freshmen. You know, he mentioned Darius Rush it continues to come on at corner as well in that next group. It, it seems like that, that may mean that, that Joey is, is a year away. Yeah, I mean, Joey's going to – he's been playing some on special teams, you know, so that might be um, 
maybe a little the ceiling, I guess, for his role this year. I think unless you have a rash of injuries, I don't know that you're going to see him play a bunch more this year. Unless South Carolina is fortunate enough to get into some situations, which they would love to be able to go play some younger guys in the fourth quarter. But um, Joey's one of those. Darius Rush has done some good things, you know, um, on punt coverage and special teams. I know that there was a punt that he downed. Kai Kroger obviously had a really good week punting the football against Auburn. Darius Rush gets down there and downs one at the six-yard line, which which was a big play, obviously. So um, Darius probably more in line than Joey. And Darius is still a young player too, you know, relative in a relative sense. But Joey's got upside for sure long-term. He's got positional versatility. Um, they, they like his, his disposition, his attitude. He's just he's just probably still a little bit away from more substantial action at defensive back. Um, Shane says, have either of you heard the NCAA is thinking of letting guys test out of contact tracing with COVID? There, there's somebody wrote an article about that. Yeah, there's been some – Behind the scenes discussion on that, um, I think it was, um, you know, Ross Dellinger, our guy at SI, who does a fantastic job covering college football, had some some sources that he spoke with, and on the record, some of them, you know, behind the scenes that that gave them some information as to. And we've heard about some of these instances, man. I go check out that story if you haven't. It's called. Uh, well, it's got a very long title, but <laughs> just go to SI, their college football section. And check out or check, check out Ross on Twitter. Ross Dellinger does a great job. But I mean, we've seen some of these instances, right? One of the instances in the story is a guy who has never tested positive, and he's contact traced and been out for 28 days. You know, two 14-day periods. There have been a bunch of those. There have been a bunch of them. Some of them maybe end up getting it. Some up, you know. But a lot of people are looking around and saying, "Well, we're talking about safety, and that's great." That's obviously priority one. But if we have guys that are consistently testing out like Nick Saban got to do, why can't these guys come back? We're shelving them for 14 days and they might not even have it. And then even if we do, you could test a guy every day during the quarantine period and he's negative 14 times straight. He can't come back right now. Right. So um, a more uniform policy across the country, you know, in terms of letting guys come back. There's there are is some discussion on that. Yeah, and we'll we'll see where that goes. And and the the problem is sort of the I guess the incubation period and the fact we still don't know, you know, if a right. if if a guy has it, how long before he actually presents that he has it and how um how long before he would actually test positive. And I, I know some of those answers I'm I'm sure we know from a percentage standpoint, like most of the time, this is how it plays out. But if, if you're going to let Nick Saban do it, to your point, are you going to let other people do it? And right. I, I think, you know, with, with Nick, it was just obviously a uh, a false positive. So he was able to three days in a row, you know, which which I think, I mean, and do you is a is a false positive the same as a contact trace? It's or not. You yeah. Them differently, you know? Yeah. And I should have said that, you know, in drawing the distinction there, you know, it, it probably, I would say maybe it probably was the case that Nick Saban had not been contact traced to a player or some other person that had it. So there is mm-hmm. a difference there. But some people are still looking around saying there are instances where a person can test out with a positive case. Can we not create an instance in which if they're quarantined and if the circumstances are right? you know, can they also test out? And I think, you know, it's a fair question, fair discussion point. Yeah, because we're, well, Chris, we're firmly in sort of the area of, hey, football is happening. (laughs) Even though they wanted, you know, even before the season started, there was always this like caveat of, okay, everybody's going to try to play ball. (laughs) We think there's going to be a season. But now it's like, Hey, sports are happening. You may lose some games. You may have to push some games back. You And the other side of that is, hey, we're playing ball, but when's the thing going to go away? We we don't know. So you do have to sort of continue to evaluate what makes the most sense for how to handle these situations. And it is an ongoing, 
you know, the, the mark is moving consistently. It's an ongoing conversation that the more we know that I think the better off we can do with it. So, so we can see where that goes. All right. Uh, let's see. Did I miss any questions? Um, oh, there's one from Graham. He asked, will Brown get more reps at dime now this week after a full week of practice? That's a good question, man. From So I actually listened to Muschamp. Every now and then, y'all notice this, every now and then Muschamp will give a tidbit or two on the little radio pregame right before the game that he doesn't give elsewhere. And he said, Jamar Brown is back. Jamar Brown is available. But right now, we're looking at him more just to play special teams until he gets back settled in. So I think you you look and how long does it take him to get back settled in? We shall see. But also, does Carolina remain healthy as far as the other guys at linebacker? If somebody goes down at linebacker, then Jamar Brown is probably on the field regardless. You know, he, he's right back in there. But we'll see. I, I think certainly as the year goes on and then once you get, I think through the bye week, if you want to be conservative, the safe answer is that after the bye week, I think more and more you probably see Jamar out there because, Chris, there was talk, I would say preseason, right? I mean, I think it was poor guy right before he got the injury um, that there was talk of, hey, this this might be the best configuration, the best 11 on the field is when they were in that dime spot or in that dime package and Jamar Brown was, was on the field. Yeah, because he's got that linebacker background, right? So he can, you know, in that dime role, they haven't really had a guy who maybe fits it to a T. You know, they've had guys, you know, Sky Moore obviously was a linebacker, a true Mike linebacker who could play well or had safety-like skills as evidenced by the number of interceptions he had. Bryson Allen-Williams was a guy who they put in that dime roll some, but Jamar Brown is more of that true dime, right? He's a he's a safety with linebacker type skills. Um, they recruited him as as a Will or Sam type guy. In fact, he could still play those. Will Muschamp mentioned in today that um, he was operating very well. Is this terminology he used? So he sounds healthy, you know, at the Will spot. And so if they need a guy, they can plug him in there with Mo Kaba playing more at the mic. You know, it looks like Jamar Brown could be a guy who could who could spell someone at will if they need, uh, and so could Kaba. But their depth's taking a little bit of a hit there. Lewis is still out. Rosendo Lewis is still out. So maybe they need him in some spots, but they might try if they can keep their defensive snap totals down, right, which is the key to it. Maybe they can try to break him in a little bit more slowly. But he could play dime. He could play will for him. Heck, I guess he could go play Sam for him if, if needed because he's done that in this defense before too. Question about Jalen Brooks, no word there. There was some talk that South Carolina may hear something last week. Muschamp said today, still no word. So the the Jalen Brooks NCAA saga continues. I think that's about it as far as Gamecock talk and news for today. I know we got a lot of stuff to knock out for the site um, that we need to get back on. But hopefully some of you took uh, took advantage of the, the little – Promotion we had there. Um, if you are a watcher or listener and you missed that chance, shoot me an email, Wes at GamecockCentral.com. If you want on, there may be a way we can sort of find a way to get you in there, work out something for you. We'll take care of you. But Shane, he says, hope we're pulling for the Dodgers tonight. Shane, I wouldn't pull for the Dodgers if they were the last team left on the planet because <laughs> yeah that i i can't talk about i can't talk about that series like i it's just gonna make me mad again i accepted what happened the dodgers are the better team that's cool but i i'm not i'm not i'm not watching the world series like i i thought i was like you know what i'm done once the braves are out i'm out no I'm not pulling for the Dodgers. Go raise. I do got some friends that are from Florida that are that are Rays fans, so I'll, I'll be pulling for them. But I'm not pulling for the dang Dodgers. Let's see. Uh, is this another football question? 
Yeah, we'll take this one. Chris, looking at the team so far this year, without looking ahead too much, this is from RJ. What's the ceiling for the Gamecocks based on this two and two start? Man, I mean, here's the thing. I don't know that my feeling starting 0-2 didn't dramatically change my view of the team, if that makes sense. Um, it, it made me – it reinforced that South Carolina would be a low-margin team, which th- that and consistency, I mean, they're going to be the two words that people are like, can y'all please stop saying that, or at least me. But – it reinforced that. Obviously showed some areas that South Carolina's going to have to improve in. Showed some things were better. Some things were a little worse than maybe we anticipated. But I think showing that they could hold serve and beat Auburn at home, you know, rebound against Vandy, that's fine. But hold serve and beat Vanderbilt. And so I, I still maintain it's there's still going to be probably in several games that are going to be close, that they're going to have to play really well and to win, right? And they're probably going to be fourth quarter games. But – the ceiling for this team, so the games that are left are at LSU, A&M at home, at Ole Miss, Missouri, Georgia, and at Kentucky. South Carolina could go over in those games, to be completely honest, or I think they could do – could do – I'm not saying they will – could do as well as winning all but one of them. I, I, I feel like – and I would have said this last year, and they won against Georgia and lost a bunch of the rest of them – I don't. I wouldn't pick South Carolina to win against Georgia if they beat everybody else on the schedule up until that point, and maybe even if they did it handily. I just that's just how I feel about it right now. But I look at the rest of this schedule, and there are games that are more difficult than others. I think at Kentucky is probably, to be honest, one of the most difficult games left. Um, there's some. There are different levels to it. But I do think the rest of the games are winnable. Does that mean it'll happen? No, right? But if they play up to their potential, when we're talking about ceiling now, ceiling, I think that's what it is. I think they could could do that well if they play well enough. Yeah, and I, I still think, man, if this team gets to, can get to five and five. Yeah. That, that, was, that was the talk preseason. If you can get to five and five, it's, it's really a successful year based yeah. on expectations for South Carolina, based on what they had coming back, and based on, obviously, the opponents and the matchups and all those things. have you know Some of those teams are maybe easier than we thought coming in. Some of the teams maybe are more difficult than we thought coming in. Yeah. And the perception of these teams will continue to change as the year goes on. I have no idea if South Carolina should beat Ole Miss or not, based on what we've seen from Ole Miss so far. So what does it look like on game week? Who knows? Um, so if I – and how – okay, all right. I'm, I'm, I'm about to get fired up at Travis here, but we're trying to end the show. Five and five in the SEC in an SEC-only season is a success because you have to change your – expectations for the year based on what the schedule is five and five right now is in this schedule is pretty much I think the same as winning eight games during a regular year so you have to recalibrate it's easy to say oh if they don't win six games get rid of Muschamp which is what Travis is saying here but that's not reality right now it's all about sort of building, bouncing back from last year, and then putting yourself in position to keep adding players and to build your next, honestly, to build your next group of players around Gunnar Stockton, who had nine touchdowns on Friday, by the way, and bring in a bunch of really talented guys in that class and pairing them up with what I think is a really talented freshman class that is on the team right now. So, all right, that's uh, that's all we got for today. Appreciate everybody joining us. Um, Chris, tell everybody about the game day chair. Yeah, so don't don't leave without hearing about the game day chair for sure. Uh, need to check it out, affordablemedicalusa.com. Type in the Maxi Comfort Cloud with Twilight. If you're on YouTube, which you should be, we hope you are, 
go down to the, like the video description. You'll find a link right there. That'll get you all the info. Super comfortable, super roomy chair. Um, great fabric. You can upgrade the fabric if you want. Even bunch of colors, variety of positions, TV watching, lounge, zero gravity, which is a lay down. You just press a button. Boom. There it is. Uh, power pillow, lumbar support. So if you got some back pain, you've been out working in the yard or you're just lounging around watching the game, check out the game day chair to enhance your game day watching experience. All right, guys, that's going to do it. Uh, please hit the old like button on Facebook, rate, review, subscribe on all the podcast platforms. And for Chris, I'm Wes. We'll see you all tomorrow. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.